0: You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond.
1: Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob bro live from the Cardo Sports Center studio. Welcome to the... Jamlin Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson and he's Money Mainville. Yes, he's back. It's basketball season officially starting tomorrow. The Lady Raiders started tonight. It's like 100 to 50 in that game. We might uh, update the final score when we get there, but I will say this if you want to gear up for basketball season, the only place to do it is Cardinal Sports Center. You can do it online, mycardinalsports.com, or in person. Right outside the loop on Slide Road, they've got Gaucho's merch as well. You can look fly in anything, even in Gaucho's merch if you do it at Cardinals. Kyle, Money, how you guys doing?
2: I'm great. Amazing. Happy to be here.
1: Happy you're here too, Money. Ryan. Uh, Let's jump into football season. It's a couple of games left. Roy says in the comment section, we're four and five last year when we went to play the Jayhawks. Left that game at 500. Let's go. Um, That Kansas team was not this Kansas team. And that Texas Tech team was not this Texas Tech team. Kyle, in what ways are they different?
0: Well, this Texas Tech team would beat last year's Texas Tech team by 14. We've heard. So um, we know that much. Um, Yeah, I think I don't remember exactly what the Jalen Daniels, Jason Bean dynamic was last year, but it felt like Jason Bean was not quite as established as the starter as he is this year. I think Jalen Daniels has maybe only played in two or three games. And the rest of that seven and two record has been pretty much with Jason Bean playing quarterback full time. Uh, they're basically just as good on offense as they were last year, except everybody is a year older and better. So, uh, like Jared Casey, I think had their first touchdown last year on a—he got lost on a wheel route. We got—we got lost in coverage, and he scored. They have Mason Fairchild. They have Lawrence Arnold. They have uh, both running backs, Devin Neal, and um, High Shaw. Yes, High Shaw. So th- they have weapons everywhere. Um, tight end in the backfield out on the perimeter, uh, and and they're really good at that offensively. Like, they'll give you so many different formations, motion looks. Um, you're going to have to like give up something somewhere. Like, there's no way to, I don't think, just shut them down. Uh, it's just kind of a matter of like picking your poison to an extent. And honestly, I think I, I remember saying this in the Discord during the offseason. If you wanted to look at what Kendall Bryles was going to bring to TCU go watch the bowl game last year with Arkansas and Kansas. And both of those offenses operate, in my opinion, somewhat similarly. And so kind of what you saw on Thursday night against TCU, I think you could see some similar concepts, you know, like a lot more TCU throws the ball more than almost anybody in the country. Kansas runs it more than almost anybody in the country, but in terms of like the formations and motion looks, they give you some of that's pretty similar. Um, So, yeah, kind of just a a new and improved version of what you saw last year from Kansas, which was still a pretty good offense and a tough out.
1: And then Texas Tech-wise, I feel like you were getting healthy toward the end of last year, and I just don't know that you are this year. I I guess you've gotten your quarterback back. Uh, Jacob Rodriguez is allegedly going to play two out of the last three games to keep his red shirt available. Uh, We can talk about that in a second. Uh, Ryan... Did you see the comments from Joey today about how fast Jason Bean was and uh, how, we, how we only have two players that are as fast as Jason Bean on our entire roster? Did you see that?
2: I did. I thought that was interesting. And I think, honestly, right now, if you're a coach, why, why not give your team a spark? Like, I know there's a lot of – I saw a lot of different takes about it today on Twitter, even just people saying, hey, man, Joey's acting weird. Why is he acting weird? I don't know. I, I just feel like he's acting weird. Um, but I think it, it's a reasonable thing to do. Try and fire your team up right now. You, you've got a tough opponent this week in Kansas. Obviously, you know, you hope you can take care of business in the UCF game and then you've got Texas and and that's your season. And I think really you've, you're looking for more answers right now than you probably were hoping for at this point in the season. Um And so I don't know, I I would argue, you know, I think there's a couple of guys that could maybe, you know, keep up. There's a lot of speed on this team. It's just a reality. I mean, it's unfortunate to say, but you kind of see it a lot when they get the top taken off of their defense and guys have got to go chase them down from the secondary. But yeah, I mean, Kansas, they, they want to run the ball against you. The problem is they can also throw it really effectively. They're top 22 in EPA in both pass and rush while tech is like seventh, I think now in rush and, somewhere in the 60s for passes so they're dynamic they, they can do multiple things to you on offense and he's right you know whatever the, the comments may have been or the specifics it's going to be a challenge for this defense who really their strength is stopping the run maybe their only strength or their biggest strength is stopping the run I think you know with how Kansas wants to set the edge and throw some different pass looks at you it, it's going to be a challenge for sure
0: want to chime in on the Jason Bean comment. Um, Rob, you mentioned this, I think, last episode, maybe two episodes ago, that uh, it was a couple episodes ago when we were talking about Spitgate and how certain comments on Twitter becomes like a game of telephone. And uh, I think the comment was that, like, yeah, we only have two guys that can run, you know, stride for stride with Jason Bean, which, by the way, one of those, like, analytics trackers has literally clocked Jason Bean faster at his top speed than Tyree Kill. So he is really freaking fast. Like that's not Joey being Joey. But I think the comment that riled some people up was like, oh, Joey said we had the fastest team in the country. Not what he said. He said we have the fastest recruiting class in the country, and he could prove it based on track times. Those guys are redshirting right now. <laughs> like they're not they're not on our defense playing against Jason Bean on Saturday. Or if they are, something has probably gone horribly wrong. So it's one of those things like, um, yeah, you change like one or two words and it changes the entire meaning of what was actually said. But then people start commenting on what wasn't really said. And it just kind of spirals into one of those Twitter threads that everybody's yelling at each other and like none of it's even true to begin with. So Jason Bean is fast. I, I feel like that was sort of a weird... Uh, red herring that got thrown out there that we started debating for some reason he's really fast and he will torch you if he like gets into open field and apparently we have two guys that might be able to catch him one of them is red shirting and one of them is tyler owens so he's good and it's gonna be tough to defend him and and the rest of the kansas offense
1: this from briggs kyle do analytics factor in whether or not the defense is as fast as jason b
0: this is uh maybe the third or fourth time on the podcast the analytics they have do factor in your personnel so things like your speed. But, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Thank you.
1: Oh, man. Uh, So looking at Kansas, the football team, the football game, uh, this is in Lawrence at 11 a.m. I love it. I love 11 a.m. games on the road. Uh, I'm not having to get into it. I'm not having to sit around and wait all day. This isn't a 6 o'clock wait and see game. Uh, I will not be in Lawrence. I don't think either of you will be either. Uh, do you like 11 a.m. games road road style? When you yeah. win. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah.
2: It's like the
0: new uniform reply, like, I don't care what time we kick off, just yeah. win. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, you know, this is kind of sad that you might be a trap game for Kansas. Um, but, yeah, they're 7-2. and two, They're 20-something or 16th or whatever in the college football playoff rankings. And maybe looking ahead to Kansas State. It's weird that you're saying that about Kansas, but um, yeah, and I know they had weather last weekend, but they didn't even really stay sold out for OU. So you've gone up to Lawrence plenty of times in the last 10 or 15 years and played in front of a really quiet, sleepy stadium. I don't think it'll be quite like that, but I also don't really think it's going to be like some raucous, tough environment either.
1: Do you know Lance Leipold is almost sixty? Sounds about right. Yeah, we're talking about him taking another job. I I saw Cyclone Larry tweeting about him uh, staying there forever today because he's sixty. Something to think about.
0: Cyclone Larry had the scoop on the Bill Self lifetime contract, so maybe Kansas is about to announce that for Leipold.
1: Maybe he knows. <laughs> is that a is that a rolling contract or is that a lifetime contract like uh, Tim Tadlock's?
0: I think it's a five-year rolling contract. Like Gundy's? I didn't know Gundy had that.
1: I think he does. I think he has hmm. a rolling uh, a rolling extension. Interesting. Uh, Jason says, are we going to run the ball again? What do you think?
2: You, you have to if you want to win. I mean, it really is this simple. And you look at what Texas Tech's offense has done this year really the thing they've done the best is run the football. And that's not a surprise to anybody who's watched this team. But I think the last couple of weeks specifically, it's, it's just really felt like you can keep up in the run game, but your your quarterback is ultimately going to have to win you the game or at least just be good enough to win you the game. Obviously, you know, you're going to rely on Taj as much as you can and run the football as much as you want to. But really, it's just getting your quarterback in situations where – he can be successful and pick up chunk yards. I think, you know, Morton played a really good game last week. I think, if, you know, he gets 250 in yards and two touchdowns every week and Taj Brooks does what Taj Brooks does. You're in a good spot. I just think, you know, you've got to find a way to continually bring in some of that pass game, keep it a threat. And I'm, I'm just still kind of waiting for Texas tech to set up just a, big, you know, go route down the field that that just really works, just feels like they haven't had that explosive threat, even with guys like Jerome Bradley and your receiving core. And so I think, you know, you really want to sneak one of those in this week, you want to run the football steadily, you obviously want to do these short passes that gain you however many yards on offense. But I think if, if you want to beat this team on the road, I think you're going to have to have one of those, you know, 40 plus pass plays at some point.
0: I wish we ran a little bit more play action. We did it against Baylor to, um, to Raider cup and it worked. And then we tried it on that bomb to Dre McCray and Taj and Baron ran into each other. So you didn't really give them a, a good look there on the mesh, but you know, that play action works, the more you effectively run the ball. And so I was laughing, I think it was the Oregon game. We we're doing, we did more play action fakes to Taj than we actually handed him the ball. It's like, you know, it has to be a little bit believable that you're actually hand it off in order for play action to be most effective. How many carries would you all want Taj Brooks to get if I told you Kansas was 78th nationally in yards per rush surrendered on defense?
1: 30.
2: Yeah, he hit 30 last week, 31 last week. What if I told you they were actually
0: 88th in yards per rush surrendered?
1: 30 still. I want I want Cameron Valdez and the boys to get a couple of carries as well.
0: Okay, well, here's the situation. They're actually 98th nationally <laughs> in yards per rush surrendered. I like we might need to call Barnett, Howard, and Williams to prosecute Zach Hidley if Taj Brooks leaves the stadium without 25-30 carries. And then yeah, like you're saying, Rob, once he kind of maxes out, because he can't he can't tote it 45 times, I don't think, although I I might not be opposed to seeing us try. Valdez needs 10, Nehemiah needs five, give Dre McCray a speed sweep, give Miles Price a speed sweep. Yeah, I mean, you just can't. And Kansas' pass defense isn't very good either. Like, that's the Achilles heel of their team. They they are not great defensively. But that's what you do best. That's how you keep their offense off the field, kind of shorten the game a little bit. And so it, I, I get it. Like, we don't want to run into bad boxes. Some teams are good at defending the run. This is not that team. And if you really want to set up Morton for success, you have to lean on the run, even if it's not a totally, you know, we love the box. We love the look. You have to keep doing it and doing it to get some of those play action looks and get some receivers isolated one-on-one. So, and and to Kitley's credit, we've been a lot better about this since about the Houston game, like Houston, Baylor, BYU. We ran it a ton. I think we got away from it a little bit early against Kansas state, but TCU ran it plenty. So, I hope that that continues, and I think that that's a that's way you can keep it close and give yourself a shot to win.
1: You look back to the uh, Kansas-Oklahoma game. This is what Oklahoma tried to do, and they did. They ran it for like 300 yards, but they couldn't get a first down late, and they just couldn't close out the game, and Dylan Gabriel only had 14 pass attempts before the final drive. So you have to be a little more balanced, but there is a, a scenario where you can do that and beat Kansas.
2: And their EPA per pass on defense is even worse than their rush defense. So if you're really, you know, this is what you talk about: stacking success, setting up the run game to open up the pack game. Like this is this is what you got to do. Yeah,
0: they're they're 127th out of 133 in oppo- opponent completion percentage. Uh, they allow their opponents to complete 68% of passes, and our offense is not designed to throw like low percentage downfield like we throw so many behind the line or at the line Uh, I know Morton was really efficient against TCU something like I don't I don't want to guess but very few incompletions it should be the same 28 of 36 it should be something similar like he should complete 70 percent plus against this team but the way our offense is run unless we just like totally pivot for some reason start you know our average depth of target turns out to be double what it has been all year um, you should be able to stay on the field with short passes and running the ball and hopefully eating up some clock. Keeping all those offensive weapons we just talked about off the field for Kansas.
1: Uh, Tad says, It sounds like we need to start Jake Strong and air it out. No. Uh, Jason, how many games was Morton's arm not 100%? He hurt it immediately when he came in against West Virginia and has not been healthy since.
0: Yeah, second play against West Virginia, I think, is when the AC joint was sprained.
1: So. I mean, and you could see it going back and watching that game with all the sidearm throws. He's just trying to – he couldn't lift his arm. Yeah. Stayed in there. He's tough SOB. Uh, all right, so if I'm hearing correctly, Kansas defense stinks. Tech's defense is not as fast as their fastest player. And our offense should be able to run the ball against Kansas. So what does that equate uh, to a final score?
0: Well um... – I'm actually more interested in the total on this one. I think I don't see – so our our run defense, Texas Tech's run defense, is better than our pass defense. But Kansas runs the ball more than almost anybody in the country in terms of their share of offensive plays that are runs. Uh, but like Mainville said, on a per-play basis when they do pass, they still find success. So I, I, I hope that this game doesn't look like Kansas State where you're not able to – defend the run very well. I think that's really the only game that you look back on and go, yeah, you know, we weren't good against the run there. Um, and then through the air, it, it does worry me. Kansas doesn't do it at the same volume as TCU, but TCU kind of gave you fits and really gassed your secondary for most of that game. And if it weren't for a few bad throws that resulted in interceptions, the outcome could have been very different. So I'm I'm a little bit skeptical of our defense going into this one, even though most games they've held their own pretty well. But I also don't see as long as Baron Morton plays a clean game and takes care of the ball, I don't see them stopping us a ton. I mean, I think we should at least be able to get yards and get into field goal range, things like that. So I'm actually probably looking at the over. Um, I think that's perhaps the better play than trying to pick a side on this one. But I think it'll play. I think it'll be played in the like low thirties, low to mid thirties. The spread I think is hovering around three or four, so I'll I'll guess maybe like Kansas thirty eight, Tech thirty one.
1: Have you picked Tech to win a game this year since Wyoming?
0: I was thinking about that. I think I picked Houston, uh, or picked us to win against Houston. Okay, and I think that's the only one.
1: So you've you've been better than uh, most when when picking against Texas Tech. Yeah. Yeah, the emotional hedges worked.
0: Although I was wrong against TCU.
1: Sure. So. Yeah, and Baylor. And Baylor, yeah. Well, you picked uh, you picked Tech over Charleston State.
0: I don't know if I picked them to cover. I don't remember what the,
1: the line, line
0: was, was or if we even talked about it because it was an FCS game. Um, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't. It's hard for me to, because I have picked against Tech, Against the spread and have mostly been right since uh, the Wyoming game. I do actually feel more optimistic about this game than I think most people do. I think most fans just kind of like look at the the top level numbers and Kansas is ranked. Kansas has won seven games. Kansas beat OU. All that all that is true. And then you dive into it and you like can see a pretty clear path to Tech winning this game if it is played in a certain way. So I, I do think you have a legit, like, 40 to 45% chance to win the game, which is what the betting market is telling you. It's what a lot of the analytics are telling you. I, I'm not like a doom and gloom tech fan, like, oh, we don't stand a chance going into Lawrence. I think that it's a little bit less than a coin flip, but uh, I won't be surprised at all if you do win. I think that this game could be played in a way that that, that definitely happens.
1: So what would you say, 38 to? 31. 38-31? Yeah. Go 31-28 and not pick a side. Money, how about you?
2: I think I saw uh, Parker Fleming's graph uh, this morning say Tech, like, 25, Kansas somewhere around 34, 35. I think I'll go Kansas 31, 28. I don't feel good about it. I think it's a winnable game. Um, Jason Bean has one touchdown pass in his last two games with two interceptions. If if you can hold them to something like that, you're you're going to be in the game for all four quarters. I just think the margin of error is really really small for Tech in this game. You, you've got to really limit the turnovers. You've got to force one. You've got to stay out of you know bad pen- penalty trouble and not pushing yourself behind the chains. You you've got to get in early downs and have success there. But I think with how efficient. Kansas has been on a per play basis and just the struggles of tech's pass defense. I think I'm a little worried about this Kansas defense, setting them up for some easy ones down the field on, on offense. So I'll pick Kansas, but again, really winnable game. Just got to, you know, control your own destiny. Really all it is keep yourself in the game for all four quarters and see what happens.
0: Rob, I have a few more notes uh, before we move on. If that's cool. Yeah. An area where I think, again, I see a path opening for Tech is Kansas's third down defense is 115th nationally. They do not get off the field on third down. And as you all both know and most of our listeners know, part of Tech's identity is sometimes just using third down to get into fourth and manageable. And so if they're that bad on third down, like even if they do stop you and we're going to go for it anyway on fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three, I could see us really staying on the field and like – Very rarely punting in this game unless we do get behind the chains and it's fourth and eight or something and we can't go for it. And so if you do find success on third and fourth down and you're staying on the field and extending drives, turning what might be a punt for most teams into three points or seven points, I think that's huge. One area you've been really bad is uh, turnover margin. Part of that is you don't take the ball away from the other team. Part of it is inflated. I'm not trying to pick on him, but the six quarters that Jake Strong was in at quarterback – offensive turnovers were I would like to see like I know Baron Morton I think is nine touchdowns to one interception nine total touchdowns to one interception in his three full games that he started and finished that's going to be huge and I think that our turnover numbers are kind of skewed based on some of the quarterback turnover and then the last one is penalties Kansas is pretty disciplined you're not the stats bear that out and a lot of that's avoidable like sometimes you're just playing football and you grab a guy's jersey that's whatever but if it's one of those like Late hits on the sidelines, you know, kicking a guy because he's holding onto your leg after the play or a pre-snap, brain fart. That's the kind of thing you have to cut out. And, like, you can't let the Kansas offense stay on the field because you you line up offsides or commit pass interference on on a ball that might not be catchable. So I think you look at those areas, you've got to play really clean there to, to win this game. So third and fourth down, penalties and turnovers. It's, those are kind of big factors in every game, but especially this one where you're kind of – it looks like potentially outmatched in two of those three areas and in the third area, looks like you have an opening to hopefully take advantage of one of Kansas's weaknesses.
1: Speaking of weaknesses, Kyle, is there a place in West Texas with zero weaknesses?
0: Yes, there is. And it's called Rehino barbecue out in Olton, Texas, mobile food truck going all across West Texas, open five days a week. Now get there early. The lines are long because everybody is heard. The Gospel of Regino Barbecue in West Texas. You can't miss there. Turkey, ribs, brisket, burgers, pulled pork. They've got it all. They've got Thanksgiving turkeys that you can buy if you you know, maybe don't want to cook your own this year. Check that out. Hit them up on social media, at Regino BBQ. Order online, reginobbq.com. No weaknesses. 10 out of 10.
1: Back to you, Rob. Sorry, I was looking up the uh, holiday menu. (laughs) You can buy whole whole briskets. You you can buy whole smoked turkeys. You can go uh, half sheet pans of sides. You can get a Texas Trinity family meal for Thanksgiving. Uh, Prices on the website. Pecan pies, banana puddings, glazed hams, cobblers. You can get a whole Thanksgiving meal there.
0: That's such a cheat code. If you, if you don't want to cook, you know, six sides for your family, just get the green chili, cream corn, all that, and, you know, cheap. Just buy a couple sides from Reno get the turkey from Reno and then make one or two sides, and you're set.
1: There you go. There it is. Uh, all right, ready to make some picks? Let's do it. Baylor, Kansas State, 6-3 and three versus 3-6. Three and six. Kansas State, minus 20 and a half.
0: Do you remember what you guessed on Gaucho's After Dark?
1: Not 20 and a half.
0: I think I said like 16, and you were like, I don't know, that's steep. And it, yeah. I think it opened at like 17, and it went up. Like, yeah, yikes. And like FPI, I think, gives Kansas State like a 95% chance to win the game. It is wild how far Baylor has fallen. Um, I guess i will take the Cats. That's a huge number,
2: but how can you pick Baylor at this point? K-State to cover. That Baylor team is so bad. So, so bad. They don't do anything well. Nothing.
1: Are people getting fired, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think everybody gets fired.
2: At least Jeff Grimes. Probably Dave Aranda with them.
0: Texas Tech co Defensive Coordinator, Dave Aranda.
1: Texas Tech Running Game Coordinator, Jeff Grimes. Uh, Oklahoma State UCF. Oklahoma state minus two and a half on the road. And I don't think I had this one either.
0: Yeah. I think I was more like four. I think I said tweener, like between three and six, like it was going to be a four or five. Um, I've seen some interesting numbers that have UCF and Oklahoma state as basically like even teams and they're playing in Orlando. That's not the narrative surrounding these teams because UCF just won their first Big 12 game and it was against the worst team in the conference. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State is now in the driver's seat to go to Arlington. I think the Knights have a very good chance to win this game. And so if you're giving me points at home, let's do it. Go Knights.
1: You're such an Alan Bowman hater.
2: (laughs) Ryan. I'll go Cowboys to cover with Ollie Gordon having a big game. Getting them a win.
1: Pistols firing. Uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma, 6-3, and 7-2. and two, Oklahoma minus 12.5. Go Nears.
2: I'm with you. Go Ears. West Virginia to cover. It'll be a one-possession game probably. West
0: Virginia, they treat this game like a legitimate rivalry. And and honestly, like this might sound crazy, but if they beat OU, they have a non-zero chance at making it to Arlington. Meanwhile, OU, like I know Drake Stoops had that great line about how much there is left to play for the Sooners. Maybe he believes that, and if he does, good for him, but I don't know if like the entire locker room believes that. I could totally see sort of like a come down loss. Like, you know, basically they lose the Oklahoma State game twice. I don't know if I'm willing to go Ears-Money line, but West Virginia plus 12.5, I think I think I like that.
1: Yeah, just to cover. I think it'll be close. Uh, Cincinnati-Houston, the battle for the worst team in the Big 12. Uh, Houston minus two. Is
0: it in Houston? It's in Houston. Whatever. Yeah, I guess Dana's on a roll going for two in overtime when he doesn't have to. Don't let them get hot. They beat West Virginia, they beat Baylor, they beat Cincinnati. Look out. So yeah, go kooks.
2: I'll take the Cats. Why? <laughs> because it took Houston a miracle to beat Baylor. That's and it's inexcusable. Yeah,
0: those three teams, Baylor, Cincinnati, and Houston, are all like I think pretty equally awful. I'm kind of mad that West Virginia lost to Houston.
1: Cincinnati will win a Big 12 game. It won't be against us. I don't think it's this weekend. Uh, Texas TCU, Texas minus 10. In Fort Worth, give me 30 (sighs) dykes.
0: Riff Ram Bazoo. Go Frogs. They might – them and West Virginia might screw around as double-digit underdogs, and I think one of them wins. I'll – yeah, I'll say that.
2: TCU to cover. I won't go money line, but they can do some weird things with that passing offense. Man, it makes no sense. They just somehow end up throwing for like 450 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions every week.
0: Well, and is Malik Murphy good?
1: He can throw the deep ball to Adonai Mitchell.
0: Yeah, I'm like is TCU good? Also, no, but. If uh, Malik Murphy has multiple turnovers, yeah, things could get interesting.
1: If the Texas offense stays how it is and Quinn Ewers doesn't come back, Adonai Mitchell's going to have three touchdowns, three catches for 235 yards against Texas Tech.
0: He's going to Randy Moss on Thanksgiving us.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be three, three catches, three touchdowns, 195 yards. <laughs> Uh, Iowa State BYU at the butt crack of dawn. Uh, In the opposite way, it's at midnight, minus six and a half. Iowa State minus six and a half.
0: Give me BYU. I like the uh, after dark home atmosphere. They've made the change at quarterback. Maybe that's enough to provide a spark. Plus six and a
2: half, I like it. I think I'll take the Cougars as well.
1: Somebody's going to be bowl eligible. They're both five and four.
2: Well, this is
0: this is probably BYU's best shot to get bowl eligible at home against Iowa State.
1: Yeah, they finish with the Oklahoma schools.
0: Yeah, no, this is it. This is their Super Bowl.
1: All right, I'll take BYU then. Okay. Hard pivot to some basketball.
0: Let's do it.
1: Kyle, you want to lead us into salvation
0: here? I don't know about that. Um, So, Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Obviously, we're happy to have you. I think, unfortunately, I don't want to say you left on bad terms, but you left during, like, a crazy time in Texas Tech basketball. Um, I think the last episode you did with us was the Twitter spaces, like the night that Mark Adams was – um, I guess, tendering his resignation because he wasn't fired, right? He resigned. Um, just a weird time, like a bizarre fall from grace. The guy gets his dream job at his alma mater, goes to the Sweet 16, and then year two is just this epic disaster. Um, probably not all his fault. I think the, the NIL stuff was crazy. The, there were some assistant coaching decisions and roster construction issues just kind of like bad start to finish. And uh, I don't think we did an episode. Maybe we did an episode after Grant McCaslin was hired, but we certainly haven't done one since he put this roster together, assembled his assistants. And so let's start there. Kind of grade Grant McCaslin's offseason and what,
2: what he inherited versus what we've got going into this year. Yeah, so I think anytime you you've got a new coach with a lot of turnover, you're kind of looking at how they construct a roster. Obviously, as you mentioned, you know you construct it, a certain way with a certain principle it can go well it can not go well tech has tried some different things over the last few years they've kind of just thrown everything at the wall and waited to see what sticks they've tried to go after you know the biggest names in in the portal and you know tried to make them all work together but what i think i saw with with grant mccaslin this off season was just really trying to get guys that would fit within his system but also complement the the players that he would you know return on this roster. And so you bring in guys like Chance McMillan, who I was really impressed with um, when I was at the Texas Tech AM scrimmage in Denton, which was awesome. We can talk some more about that later. Um, you know, a guy like Darion Williams, who I think is gonna be really, really good as well, just kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He's huge in person. I think he's listed at like six, seven, but man, he, he looks like an NBA player. Um, and you guys, you've got guys like Warren Washington, you know, adding in a rim protector, just somebody to anchor you down low. Joe Toussaint, obviously, maybe the biggest splash that that he made in the portal this offseason, bringing in a veteran guard uh, to really, you know, help complement Pop Isaacs and run your offense when needed. And so I think when we start with players, obviously, there's a lot to like, I think you know, this is maybe a different recipe than what Texas tech has had the past couple of seasons. You know, I think Tucson is someone who fans should be excited about. I think he's going to be a big piece. There may not be, you know, these Mac McClongs on the roster, but I think this is a team that got the guys that they wanted. It, they took some time getting there. And I think rightfully so. I think that was a part of the process, but I think, you know, for how well that team played and didn't the other the other week, it, it was really impressive. I mean, they Tech scored eighty nine points on offense, which would have been the most uh, the team scored last season against a semi respectable opponent. They scored hundred three times last season, but it was mm-hmm. against by games. Um, but I'm just impressed with, with Grant McCaslin after one scrimmage. Um, you talk a lot about philosophies and systems, and there was a lot of talk about you know, will Grant McCaslin play slow? Will this offense, you know, be sleepy? Will they just play defense? Will it just be the same thing we've watched? This looks like a guy who's going to coach to his personnel and, you know, incorporate personnel into his system, but ultimately maximize the talent that he has on his roster. And, And that'll win you a lot of basketball games in the big 12.
0: Let's talk about that for a little bit in terms of coaching philosophy He had a. I don't know if he was associate head coach, but I think his number two at uh, North Texas, uh, Ross Lodge. Ross Hodge, yeah. Ross Hodge. I went to high school with a guy named Ross Lodge. That's why I screwed that up. Um, Ross Hodge, he stays at North Texas, and Graham McCaslin surrounds himself with a collection of, I think, in a lot of instances, high profile assistants that you know when it was announced a lot of people in the industry like national media types were like this is a great hire for texas tech talk about some of the assistant coaches we brought on and like maybe what their background is what their offensive or defensive calling cards are so we can get a sense for what the coaching room as a whole what their philosophy might be
2: yeah it's really interesting because i i don't know the formula that Grant McCaslin used a lot at UNT. I don't know if he had kind of like a coordinator system where certain guys were running certain things. Uh, You know, that's kind of something that you got to keep close to the vest, but I think the biggest name or probably two of the biggest names that I'll mention on this staff are Matt Brar, who comes with Grant McCaslin from the UNT staff. He was there with him for five seasons. Um, Just a really, really, really good recruiter. Um, a guy that really knows how to connect with guys on the trail. Um, He's a former basketball player. So obviously that always helps, you know, just breaking down the game, talking about the experience, what it's like to play college basketball and, you know, what kind of coaches you want to play for. And so I think he's going to be a big difference on the recruiting trail. And another guy that will be that way as well is Kellen Buffington, who I know a lot of people have talked about this off season, kind of coaching in a new role for Texas Tech as their general manager. But in Denton, he was the first guy on, on the bench right next to the scores table. He was very involved talking to guys, you know, giving them high fives after plays, talking to them about something, you know, that just happened on the play. Obviously, recruiting is kind of his chops. He's got big connections to Texas elite basketball you know guys like Anthony Black some big names that have come out of Duncanville over the last couple of years and so obviously the recruiting chops are there but it's just really interesting you know you watch one scrimmage of a staff and it's just a different flavor than than what I've seen the last couple of years out of Texas Tech you know Grant McCaslin is screaming at guys you know by their first name calling them over to the sideline they talk about something mccaslin gives them a high five and they walk off and then they just go play basketball and it just feels like the dynamic is really good right now obviously you know you got to wait for seasons to play out for stress to get high for the big 12 to you know work you like it does but i think just the energy is different and you kind of feel that way top to bottom with the staff just a a group of guys that really understand what it takes to win big 12 basketball games even though many of them are you know new to the scene you know they're they're no strangers to the idea that competitive hard-fought basketball is is what's going to win you a lot of basketball games in the big 12.
1: How do you think Texas Tech stacks up against the rest of the big 12? I know some teams uh, coming in hot already but West Virginia may be falling off with their Bob Huggins drama.
2: Oh, they're going to stink this year.
1: But the rest of the Big 12, especially maybe Houston coming in, how does Texas Tech fit in with the top of the conference?
2: Yeah, so there's – you know, the Big 12 kind of breaks itself itself up year by year, and, you know, you can kind of see where the, the clear tiers are as, as the months go on. Right now, I think in Tier A, you've got Houston, Kansas, Baylor – Maybe Baylor, you know, a tier below, Kansas or Houston, we'll see. Uh, don't know about how they're going to be returning or without returning so many scores on that team. But then there's just a lot of noise in the middle of this conference. I think there's there's going to be some bad teams. I think primarily that's going to be Oklahoma State and West Virginia. I think they're both going to be, you know, right there at the bottom when March rolls around. But then you look at teams like TCU and BYU, Kansas state, maybe you just don't really know where the cards are going to fall for these teams. And I think it's going to make for a lot of madness in the big 12, which is no surprise. Won't be the first time we've seen it, but I think, you know, Texas tech adapts to its strengths and maximizes its personnel. It's got a really good shot of ending up at the top end of the big 12, which won't be an easy thing to do. But I mean, coming off that win against AM, obviously just a scrimmage, gotta take it with a grain of salt. But that AM team is really good. And and they've got one of the best players in the country and, and Wade Taylor. And Texas Tech beat them when, you know, they're still trying to figure things out. That was Grant McCaslin's first time ever seeing his guys go against someone else other than his guys, as far as we know. Um and they played really impressively. And so I think you, you've you got a really good shot to compete in the Big 12. You've got to wait and see what happens at the top. But I think in the middle, there's going to be chaos, and chaos always means opportunity.
0: Yeah, and as we know in this conference, even if you're in the middle of it, or even kind of like the lower middle class, you're potentially an NCAA tournament team or a bubble team in you know, late February, early March. And so just my, my sense of things is like, we're going to, we're going to be a team that has a chance at like a realistic chance at the postseason If things fall, right. Uh, I want to talk personnel a little bit Uh, something. uh, There was a little bit of a strange dynamic in Mark Adams's first year. When he put that roster together, it was so portal heavy, which I'm not necessarily saying is a bad thing, but we had no freshmen. We had Jalen Tyson, um, come halfway through the year and he you know sat out and so he was a redshirt freshman in a second season uh with a group of true freshmen but like you didn't have that component of like okay these two or three guys were sort of learning a little bit last year getting a few minutes and now we're ready to see them take the next step that's not the case this year because Pop Isaacs Lamar Washington and Robert Jennings um maybe to varying degrees but all got somewhat significant minutes at least um in Big 12 play all three kind of different styles of play and all three decided to return um, specifically with that young group, those three, what do you think fans can expect uh, from that bunch this season?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is Pop Isaac's team. It, I know it sounds crazy. He's just a sophomore. You've got a really experienced Joe Toussaint on your roster, but this is Pop Isaac's team. I mean, there's, there's really nobody on this team that can do what he does in terms of, just scoring the basketball at all three levels of playmaking of getting his teammates open shots. I I was just really impressed with how he played in Denton the other day. I mean, he was getting called for some terrible, terrible fouls. Like a lot of players were on both sides uh, of that game. Um, And I think he had like 23 points, four minutes into the second half and ended up having to sit for quite a while really until it got down to like the under four and, it was pretty close, and, you know, obviously Grant McCaslin wanted to win the game, and so he came back in. But I think this is Pope Isaac's team. Shot six for ten in Denton from deep. It was really, really good. Uh, three turnovers, or two turnovers, excuse me, two assists. I think what Joe Toussaint is going to allow him to do is play off the ball a little bit more and, and just get some easy catch-and-shoot looks. And I think that's going to be really, really good for Pope Isaac's. In terms of Lamar Washington, I I think he makes a big step up this year. I think last year he had some of the intangibles that you like to see. You know, he's a good on-ball defender. He had some flashes of running the pick and roll really well on offense. but And Denton just played with a lot more confidence. There was a play early on in the second half where he took it to the rim, gotten and one call and just like immediately stood up and gotten the a defenders face. And there wasn't really anything, you know, negligent about the foul. I think he just wanted it. And he got the basket and it amped him up. And I think if he plays with that chip, it's going to complement a lot of what his game does. I've been a big fan of his for a long time. You know, I, I tried to buy as much Lamar Washington stocks I can. And I think you'll probably start to see some early returns on that this year. Um, Really good defender again, but I think the offense definitely takes a step up this year. And then, you know, Robert Jennings is going to be an, an interesting one to watch. I, I don't know really what it's going to look like to balance his playing time with Warren Washington's. And, you know, even immediately Yalahu got some got some burn and didn't. It was only like five minutes because Washington had gotten into foul trouble. But that's kind of the, the burn that you need you know, Robert Jennings to take over and, and to be a solid, reliable returner on your team for. And so he'll get his opportunities. I think, you know, he he's a good mover laterally on defense. I think that'll buy him some minutes, but I think right now he, he's he got something to prove and I think he can, he's, he's got good intangibles on the glass. You know, he's a strong rebounder. He can go up for the second chance points. And so, I think he's got something to prove, but there's definitely room for him on the rotation to, to really carve out a good role.
0: You probably got a glimpse at this during the AM scrimmage, but who do you expect to be the starting five out of the gates this season? And then maybe like sixth, seventh, seventh, eighth, and minutes uh, behind them, like the, the top guys off the bench.
2: Yeah. So if I remember correctly, starting five was Popeye Vicks, um, Devin Cambridge, Joe Toussaint, Warren Washington, and I think Darion Williams, which was a bit of a surprise to me, um, probably going to see that same starting five tomorrow would just be my guess because it's the one that Grant McCaslin has seen in action. I think really the only thing that you're trying to figure out right now is what exactly do you do when Joe Toussaint and Pop Isaacs are on the floor at the same time? I think that's going to be an interesting thing to kind of watch play out. Toussaint didn't really, you know, light it up and didn't have six points. He had seven assists. He was a really, really good facilitator, but obviously known for having the ball in his hands quite a bit at West Virginia. Um, So I think that's probably the starting five you'll see. Lamar Washington was that first guy off the bench. I think he's got a good chance of maintaining that, but Chance McMillan also came off the bench in that game he passed up a couple of early looks where I thought he maybe could have taken a shot or put the ball down and gotten to the basket. Just looked kind of hesitant to do something offensively. But, you know, you, all, you always hear it in, in the sport. You just got to see one go in sometimes. That's what he did. And he was just a different player from there on out in the game. Ended up with 17 points, made four threes. I was really impressed with him just putting the ball down, even creating plays for his teammates. And so I think you're, you'll probably see Washington and – um, Cambridge and McMillan kind of all rotate between starters and six men and seventh men and first guys off the bench. It's just, it's crazy looking at how many true playmaker ball handler guards this tech team has. I, I think it's an asset. I think it's a challenge to figure out, you know, how you're going to divide this and make it work, but it definitely is a luxury, not a bad thing for sure.
1: I know Kyle wanted to ask this earlier, but I think he's leaving it for me. Is Drew Steffi going to play
2: much? He didn't play at all in Denton. Neither did Kyron Lindsey, which was kind of a surprise for me um, because he did redshirt last year. Obviously, you know, McCaslin's been around him as long as everyone else, so I guess it makes sense in terms of, you know, that year that you had at Texas Tech. You know, it did good for you, you know, familiarity and, you know, you know, Mike Neal and, you know, whoever else is still on this staff, Coop. Um, but I think, you know, Steph, Lindsay. I think those are the two guys that I was expecting to at least, you know, get some looks in the rotation. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't feel comfortable putting them like within the nine or the 10 man rotation. But I'd be surprised if they don't play over the next few weeks, um, especially in games like tomorrow or after the San Jose State, I think they play Corpus Christi after that. I'd be surprised if the rotation is as long in that San Jose State game as it is against, you know, Commerce or Corpus Christi. But I don't know. He, he's a scorer that, that's always an asset in the Big 12. But I think if you can redshirt him, it wouldn't hurt, especially with as many guard options as you have this year.
0: I'm surprised about Kyron Lindsay just because you don't have a ton of height on this team or length uh, you know, beyond Warren Washington, and I thought he might be a guy that you sort of relied on for at least eight or ten minutes a game, like if we assume that Warren Washington can't go 40 minutes every night, like somebody's got to play the five. Um, and he, you know, he's a pretty, I think if I remember correctly, pretty highly touted prospect, And so I thought with the redshirt season he might be ready to contribute this year. Maybe he'll work his way into that. Um, but I guess that's a good segue. Go ahead and talk a little bit about what you saw from the team during the a scrimmage. I wasn't able to join you there, but uh, just from the final score being 84, 82 or whatever it was, it tells you that the pace was a lot faster than I think most people were expecting from a McCaslin team. So tell us a little bit about what you saw and maybe what you think the team's
2: identity might be at the beginning of this season. Yeah, it was a really fun basketball game. It it just was. It was two fast-paced teams, two teams with a lot of good offense and a lot of good scores. It was an awesome basketball game, and it was a good test for Texas Tech at this point in the season. I think what was the most surprising for me, as it was for a lot of people, was, as you mentioned, just how fast this team played. Obviously, that's kind of been McCaslin's DNA for as long as he's been coaching college basketball, and I know there was – you know, a lot of people talking about, oh, they wanted to play slow, like we proved you wrong. Like it, it's almost just a statement of even more credibility of what Grant McCaslin could do to say, hey, you've played slow your entire coaching career, but now you've got this team where it makes sense for you to run fast. That's a good adjustment. And, and it was. If you look at the box score from the Tech AM and game, Tech had 28 fast break points and AM just had eight. And it doesn't really make sense, even if you look at the rebounding. Like a had 42 rebounds, Tech had 28. And so you'd almost think like a might have a little bit of an edge in that category just by how many shots they were making and, you know, Tech wasn't getting those bounces. But they played really, really fast. Uh, they shot the three a lot. I think they took 34 threes in that game, which would have been the most of any game last season by like four. So that's a pretty high clip. And McCaslin has been known to generate really good looks from deep. Hasn't always been a, a heavy reliance or, you know, a heavy usage of his offense. He has used it and he's utilized it. But I think the quality of looks is what he's been known for. But if this team is taking, you know, 27 plus threes a, a night, you're, you're going to be seeing a lot of the guys and the guards on this team that are not afraid to to take their shot and that have the green light.
1: Pop Isaacs. He's going to have the green light. Can he be uh, a player of the year? Can he be Tyler Perry in this offense? I mean, do you think he has that, that uh, potential?
2: I mean, I think he's going to be an all big 12 guy first team. And, And maybe that's not a crazy hot take, but I'm, I'm just with, the way that he can score the basketball when he is on, he's just so good. And it's difficult to describe or compare him to other scorers that tech has had in the past, because you've had guys like Culver, who obviously, you know, when the the three wasn't working, which for Culver was, unfortunately, you know, most, most games, that was a guy that could put the ball on the floor and then get to the basket. And he did that almost better than anybody that we've seen come through tech or even the mid range shots Then you had guys like Kyler Edwards who were just kind of, you know, generating offense within the arc. Then you had guys like Mac McClung that kind of just got to do whatever they wanted on offense. But with Pop Isaacs, it's very organized. Everything is really built around him bringing the ball up the floor and then running half-court sets for him. And so I think with that, it's going to open up a lot of opportunities for him to run the pick and roll, which they did a lot against AM. It's going to allow him to get the ball to Joe Toussaint and go run a little cut, you know, near the baseline and try and get a quarter look. But I absolutely do think that he's going to be a, an all-conference first-team player when this, when this thing is done at the end of the season. I'd be really surprised if he's not. When
0: you mentioned – like his composure and his leadership ability. You even saw glimpses of that as a true freshman, which I think is even crazier because he was out with that hip injury. Like he wasn't running with the ones in practice most of the time leading up to the season. And it's just like, as soon as you drop him out there, he looks like he be- not only belongs, but maybe has his composure better than guys that have been on the court two or three years at this level. And so I'm really excited to see what he does. If he did, if he wasn't like totally comfortable as a true freshman, he did a good job faking it and making you believe that he was. And so to see him maybe even get more comfortable, um, I, I'm excited to see him, and especially in like late game situations. when I think that has kind of been the weakness at times is like, who do we go to for a bucket right here? And it was Bryson Williams two years ago. Last year it was – well, we needed way more than one bucket in most instances. So it's kind of a moot point. But like he's that guy. He's comfortable being that guy. And I think he thrives off of being that guy. So – uh, really excited to see that. Uh, just unusual characteristics for a true freshman, and now he's a sophomore. Uh, last couple questions for you on basketball. I know you're a guy who looks at a lot of um, analytics and stuff like that, and if you don't follow Ryan on Twitter, it's incredible. So, like, a game will go final, and then he'll be like, Pop Isaacs is the second player since Michael Jordan <laughs> – to have 13 points and 12 assists in back-to-back conference games in the month of February. You're like, how did you find that? Um, so I know you look at like the T rank stuff, the Ken Palm stuff, where do outlets like that sort of have Texas tech pegged going into the season? And do you agree with where they sort of have us slotted right now?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You look at T rank and I'll kind of focus on, on Bart Torvik or T rank for now, just because it's broken up a little bit more cleanly. But right now, I think T-Rank has tech at a projected 4 and 7 in Q1 games this year which you know even you know you hear that and it's like oh, okay it's not terrible it's not great obviously you know you want to win more of those than you lose but that would give them a 57% chance at making the the tourney so that that is not bad at all tells you a lot about the strength of the Big 12 but I think this is a team that that wants to win a lot of conference games and has the potential to Kim Palm's got them projected at eight and 10 in the big 12 right now, which I was pretty surprised with. I think they can squeak out a few more than that, um, especially against, you know, I think they're projected to lose against UCF right now. Um, also West Virginia for some reason. And so I think they'll end up, you know, the model will correct itself as it usually does with a bigger sample size, but I think this is a team that, you know, out of 18 Big 12 games, they've, they've got a chance to win, you know, 10 or 11 of these pretty, pretty good chance. I would say it really depends on the health of your team and, and how you kind of, you know, adjust as the season goes on. You know, does Joe Toussaint continue to play alongside Pop Isaacs in you know, an effective and efficient way. Do you, you know, have enough size down low? Do you have enough wings to create defensive issues? But I think with with the way the Big 12 is structured this season, I I think it's going to be really interesting to watch things play out. Because I think, you know, there are a lot of questions about this Texas Tech team right now. Obviously, you know, we've just gotten one look at them at a scrimmage. And so there's a lot of things for this team to figure out. And they've got, you know, four months to do so. But, That scrimmage and the talent they have, they certainly feel like a March team. I I think they can be. I think they control their destiny to get there. I think it's just you've got to take care of business um, and and the games where you should. That's something Tech's been really, really bad about the last couple of years, even when they've been good. It's just kind of taking games off, losing to teams that they shouldn't, keeping non-conference games close to where you can't really – you know, figure out what's going on in your rotation. And so I think if you beat the teams that you're supposed to, you know, maybe you sneak one by, you know, a Baylor or a Kansas or a Houston, but I think you have two shots each at this year. Maybe you only get Kansas once. Um, but I think if you can sneak one of those big upsets, take care of your business, don't lose the the games that you, you shouldn't. I think this This very well could and probably should be uh, a March Madness team.
0: Yeah, I think some of the other sources point to that. Um, For whatever people take Joe Lenardi's October bracketology worth, like I think he has this as like last team in or first team out. So you at least have a pundit who kind of thinks you're right there on the bubble. Ken Palm, I think you're hovering right around top 40, which again is sort of bubble territory after you factor in all the – Mid-major and low-major conference champions that take up tourney spots, so I think that's sort of a a really good baseline expectation for this team. Is like, if you miss the tournament, it's fair to be a little bit disappointed. It's not going to like shock anybody if you don't make it, and vice versa. If you do make the tournament, even if it's as a ten or eleven, I think you have to chalk that up as a good first season for Grant McCasland. I'm a little bit surprised that the odds in Vegas to win the Big Twelve don't more closely mirror. Ken Palm and T-Rank. The, so you're top four, Kansas plus 175 to win the Big 12. That's no surprise. Houston plus 400. Texas and TCU both about seven to one. And then Baylor 10 to one, Tech 12 to one. So you're sixth in a 14-team Big 12 with a first-year head coach. A lot of new pieces on the roster. You're ahead of a Kansas State team that you know, returns a national coach of the year candidate and an elite eight squad. I know they lost a lot of pieces from that, but that's kind of crazy that the market is already pricing you as shorter odds to win the Big 12 than a Jerome Tang Kansas State team. You're also ahead of Iowa State, which I think has been pretty good under Otzelberger. You added a five star freshman this year. Like, I think they've got good roster talent. So you're getting to I think a decent amount of respect from Vegas, at least in terms of regular season Big Twelve odds. And maybe that should be reason for optimism that you're actually closer to surpassing or overtaking some of these teams than Ken Palm or T Rank has sort of giving you credit for at this juncture. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. And then just to round it out, the, the bottom three teams, you've mentioned some of these West Virginia. I know you are both seventy-five to one to win the Big Twelve and UCF hundred to one to win the big 12. I think they're like totally out of their element. Um, <laughs> moving to the big 12, Th- think they have a decent football team and they're more competitive than their football record shows, but joining this conference in basketball, if you're not like a Houston or even BYU that has like some kind of infrastructure there is, is going to be a, a wake up call. It's like, it's like if Tulane joined the sec or something, I mean, it's, it's kind of wild. So um, anyway, uh, for what it's worth, Baylor at ten to one. I think I, I like the value there. Um, surprised that a Scott Drew team is behind a, a Rodney Terry and a Jamie Dixon team. It's not like Baylor. Like Baylor might not have as much talent as they've had in other years, but they're also not hurting for it either. So uh, that's my preseason value pick: is Baylor at ten to one?
2: What's Iowa State again? Twenty to one. Hmm. That's interesting. They're twenty eighth in Kempom right now. Obviously, their their defense always their models love their defense because Otselberger just generates a ton of turnovers and allows his opponents to score very few points. But they're higher in Kempom right now than TCU, Tech, um, and Kansas State as well. So,
0: yeah, that's where I'm curious about some of these discrepancies because like. Like I said, Texas Tech is 12-1. to 1. BYU is 30-1, to 1, so not terribly close. But BYU is 10 spots higher in Ken Palm right now. And, and the Ken Palm model is like before any games are played, it's going to change a lot over the next several weeks. Uh, but just the fact that at the outset, a good source like Ken Palm has BYU 10 spots higher than you, and, and yet they're much longer odds to win the Big 12, I think is kind of curious.
2: Something might help too is they won their first game by 50 points. So that that should help you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully, we win ours by 50 points.
1: Baylor currently trailing Auburn at the half.
0: I take it back. They're not going to win the big (laughs) cup. No, no shot.
1: By nine, I think. Uh, All right. Speaking of trailing, uh, if you've ever trailed in the amount of fish you were able to catch on a fishing trip, you can catch up by going with Reck'Em Outdoors, Reck'Em Outdoors.com, recommend Outdoors on Instagram. Captain Preston Long will keep you catching. It's Wade Fishing in legendary Baffin Bay. It's all West Texas, but if you're ever on the coast of West Texas and you want to go Wade Fishing, just tell Captain Preston Long you're a Red Raider, he'll hook you up. Reck'Em to catch him, or you can go online to Instagram. Rack them outdoors, find them there, look at the pictures of fish, and then uh, reach out and go fish.
0: I love the phrase, the coast of West Texas. (laughs) Uh, I was in Las Vegas one time in an Uber, and, you know, the guy asked where I was from, and I was trying to explain where Lubbock was. I was like, we're kind of, like, just south of the panhandle in Texas. He's like, okay, so you're, like, over by the water? And I was like, no, I'm I'm a long ways from the water. It's like eight hours to the closest water. So (laughs) I... I don't know. Texas is a weirdly shaped state. It's hard to describe to people that maybe don't know it. But
1: Anyway. The coast of West Texas is not the Rio Grande. Yeah. All right, ready for a mailbag?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Let's
1: knock it out. You've got mail. Mail time. Mail time. Here. Come on. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's
2: time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once.
1: Any mail for me? You don't have a Tic Tac, do you?
2: Did I get any mail? No.
1: Why not, honey? First of all, I apologize if I've coughed into the mic at all tonight. I've been trying to uh, mute myself, but it happens. You all right? Yeah, I disappeared. I went and got some cough drops, so I should be good. All right, uh, start, bench, cut. James Bond, Ethan Hunt, Jack Ryan. Are you familiar?
0: I know one out of three, so I'm starting James Bond.
1: Ethan Hunt is Mission Impossible.
0: Oh, okay. I saw one of those.
1: Jack Ryan uh, has a couple of movies with Harrison Ford, I think Clear and Present Danger. And then uh, he's got his own show with uh, Jim from The Office. Got him. Ryan?
2: Start James Bond.
1: I think I would start Ethan Hunt. It's always cool when he pulls off his face. Uh, What are your plans for Thanksgiving? I know Kyle is a known Thanksgiving hater.
0: I'm not a Thanksgiving hater. I love Thanksgiving. I don't like Thanksgiving food. I think it's way overrated. I mean, I like it. But would I rather have like Regina barbecue or like a Tex-Mex spread? Yes. So, I mean, I'll eat it. I'll eat the turkey and ham, the mashed potatoes, the rolls, the mac and cheese. But I don't know, it doesn't move the needle for me like it does for other people. And so I I try to suggest, you know, an alternative menu and I enjoy football. I enjoy time with family. So I love Thanksgiving, but the cuisine is not necessarily my forte.
1: Do you sit around the table and tell everyone what you're thankful for?
0: No, I don't think we do it that explicitly, but, I mean, we're, we're with family. So we, we share nice
1: yeah. memories and sentiments.
2: True. Yeah,
1: Ron, do you like Thanksgiving? Are you a, a cranberry juice guy?
2: I will buy all the available stock on Thanksgiving food. Give me all the green bean casserole. I'll probably smash an 8 by 11 of that. That's probably all the plans I've got. Eat some green bean casserole, nice. watch football, pass out. I'll, it, man. I'll send you some leftovers
0: because I'm not going to eat it.
1: Uh, is Kim Mulkey the best-dressed head coach?
0: I. She's the most like eccentric or flamboyant, but uh, I would put up Krista Gerlich against most anybody.
1: Same. Uh, why did Michigan cheat so sloppily? I don't think we've talked about this yet. Pretty brazen.
0: I I haven't read much about it. Like I've obviously seen this all over social media. I haven't actually seen what exactly
2: they did or how they did it. I really want to get a hold of the 100 page recruiting strategy that Connor Stallions had made, totally based on his time at Navy. That that sounds awesome. Like yeah. that is what my friends and I did playing NCAA Football 14 Dynasty Mode. Like, hey man. We're taking over Boston College. We've Got to get the fastest corners. Got to get a scrambler at QB, and of course, you just got to get the athletes. Like I, I just want—I want to get a hold of that document and soak it in.
1: The Michigan Manifesto. Uh, how hard has it been to not chug the off-season Kool-Aid as it pertains to Texas Tech basketball?
0: I was actually going to talk about this. Uh, some will remember a time in the summer when we were all bored from not having Texas Tech sports where the twitterverse was like why isn't Grant McCaslin tweeting more and engaging the fan base more at the same time of course they're like chugging all the football Kool-Aid like yeah we're going to win 10 win we're going to win 10 games go to Arlington and then like you see that you see the football season play out it's like maybe we shouldn't have hyped it up that much versus basketball I feel like it's all organic like it all stems from okay, the assistant coaches have a great reputation. We put together a good roster in the portal. The AM scrimmage went really well. And so people are excited because of, like, actual tangible offseason achievements and not because Coach McCaslin is out there saying, we're going to beat Kansas. We're going to win 17 games in the Big 12 this year. And we're going to go to the Final Four and cut the nets down. So I don't actually think we're, like, setting ourselves up for a Kool-Aid hangover or disappointment like we did with football. I, I think McCaslin is just like – trying to coach the team and win a bunch of games and doing a good job of it so far um, by all appearances. Of course, we haven't played any of those games yet. So I, I like this version of Kool-Aid a lot better than football.
2: Yeah, I would say almost, it feels reckless. It, you know, we're, we're a day away from the season starting, but I think this team maybe deserves more, you know, off season hype than they've gotten. I mean, they got absolutely slammed by Kyle Boone and a CBS sports article the other day, you know, saying they should be ranked 11th in the big 12. They're no good at all. Like even being ranked eight among the poll of voters was too high. I think this is a team that that's really got potential. Obviously they've got to put it all together. That's why you played two weeks of, of games before you get to the big 12, but they've got guys. They've got, coaching staff who I think is going to coach them well and adjust as the season goes on. And from what I saw and didn't, again, only 40 minutes of a sample size, but a team that is going to fight really, really hard and do whatever it takes to win basketball games. So I would say pump them up some more. What do you think the final score would be if this year's team played last year's team?
1: It'd be them by at least 14.
0: <laughs> um, it's hard to say, you know, because I wasn't at the AM scrimmage, and I, I have like zero data points to work off of. Valid. I uh, think they're certainly better, but you know, last year's team, it was like some of those games were without Jalen Tyson, some of those games were with Fardas Mac, and I don't know. I think that. I mean, am I wrong to think, am I looking at it with scarlet and black glasses to say that this team's roster top to bottom is better than last year's?
2: I think losing the experience of O'Banner and Hardman is a tough hit. But I think that talent-wise, this team's ceiling should be higher than last year's. That would be That would be my way of saying it. I think we'll certainly be better coached than last
0: year. Oh, yeah. And I think the schedule, like I think you get UCF twice. You did not have any UCFs on the schedule last year in conference play. And we talk about that all the time in season, that it's just like you play one of the toughest teams in the country on Saturday, and then you play one of the toughest teams in the country on Tuesday, and then you just do that for 10 weeks in a row. And so maybe the schedule is also a little bit more favorable to you this year with some of the newcomers if they're not quite ready to – play at the level that you used to see night in a nine out when this is a, a 10 team league. So all that to say, I think, I think it is, I think there's good reason for optimism that this year's team will, you know, have a better season. And I think if you put them up against them, you know, 12 on 12 or
2: whatever, um, that they would probably be favored. I will say they're definitely deeper. Uh, I feel, I feel much more confident saying that after seeing them play, I, I think they'll play 9 or 10 guys in, in Big 12 play at least, which is pretty crazy cuz we're used to seeing, you know, 7-8 man rotations from this program the last couple of years, but they've got the talent to to play 9 or 10 pretty comfortably night in, night out.
1: Next question, what is the realistic ceiling for this year's men's team?
0: It's hard to hard to answer that. Um I think Rob, when you and I have done like a a bold prediction segment. It was, it had to be like, you know, no more than like a 20% chance of happening in reality to count as bold or whatever. So like realistic, um, if you go too realistic, then like, you're not really making a prediction about ceiling, but I could see, I think a realistic ceiling is sweet 16. And like, if you, if you make the tournament as, I don't know, let's say, a a six seed. Is that crazy? No. Like it's, this could be hard to do, but like, let's say you get there as a six, you beat an 11, you beat a three, probably maybe a 14 and you're in the sweet 16. And like odds are you're going to play multiple three seeds or three seed equivalents in the big 12. And like, you know, probably go two and four against them or whatever. And so who knows when you get them out of neutral side in March, could you beat a three seed in that, in that round of 32? I think it's, possible. So I'll say ceiling is like a sweet sixteen appearance. And uh floor, I mean, who knows? I I don't think you'll finish in the bottom four of the big twelve. So I think like tenth place would be your realistic floor. Of course.
1: And that'd be a bubble team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're probably like on the wrong ish side of the bubble most years if you're tenth out of fourteen in this league. But if you're eighth, like I think you're pretty solidly in. And then ninth, like, things could get interesting. I also think, and we didn't talk about this yet, the non-conference schedule is so much better than last year. Like, you don't have Duke and Kentucky up and down it, but just replacing some school nobody's ever heard of with San Jose State and, like, not having nine quad four games that's just an absolute anchor on your tournament resume should help. Like, yeah, there's still some quad four games in there, but even just upgrading those to quad two or quad three And then, like, you play Butler, you play Villanova, all that is fine and dandy. You play Vanderbilt at a neutral site. I think that you can actually afford a little bit of wiggle room in conference play that you couldn't afford in years past by playing
2: absolutely nobody in the non-con. And even with the the stronger non-conference, if you look at Ken Palm right now, they're only projected to lose one game before they play Texas. Obviously, that might change depending on what happens You know, in the the tournament Thanksgiving week, but right now the only game they're projected to lose before Big 12 play is to Villanova on a neutral side. So we'll see what happens. There's some good teams, like you mentioned, you know, San Jose State, they're 170th in Kempom right now. That does make a difference. Oral Roberts is a, you know, well-respected mid-major team. And you got Vanderbilt. who, who's kind of sneaky good? Sam Houston State is on the schedule as well. They're one hundred twenty fourth in Ken Palm. They actually played North Texas before the Texas Tech A and M scrimmage, and they give they gave UNT a a fight for most of that game. And so, even just upgrading your schedule right now, T Rank has it at six Q two games, six Q three games, and six Q four games, which is much much more balanced than we're used to seeing.
0: Yeah, I think you've played at least eight quad four games. So many, uh, both of Mark Adams' seasons, which the first year when you go ten and eight or eleven and seven in the Big Twelve, like you know, it's not a huge deal. But last year, you know, there was a time when you were, I think, with like three games left in conference play, you like actually had an outside shot at making the tournament. But that was the big drag on your resume at that point. So yeah, all these games we're playing that you know they're one forty or one seventy in Ken Palm. We were playing like literal 320, 325 in Ken Palm, like every opportunity we got. And not only does it hurt your resume, it doesn't prepare you at all for conference games. You know, like you don't get a good look from those teams. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, I really think it can't be said enough. And I'm actually – would surprised you actually have six quad four games, you know, projected at least. We'll see how the net rankings shake out. Would love to see that go down even further to something like four – Quad four games um, every season.
1: Uh, Will McMillan be able to sustain forty plus percent from deep with higher competition?
2: Looked good in Denton. I think if he, the thing that is going to be really interesting to watch play out with this team is how different the context is compared to the situations that they were all in a year before. There are so many ball handlers on this team. I mean, I've said it so many times this episode. I'm sure I'll be talking about it nonstop this, this, this season, but it really does just make life so much easier for your offense. It gives you so much more space. You know, you can run five out and really space the floor, generate some open threes. You know, I don't know if he shoots 40%, but, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if he's not one of the best shooters on this team at the end of the year. He looked good. And then he's a scorer.
1: This one's for Kyle, but Ryan, you can answer too. How great is it to have Ryan Mainville's handsome face back on the It
0: It's all we ever dreamed of. It was an absolute must for basketball season, and so glad it has all come to fruition.
2: I'll answer anyways. I'm excited to be here, and it's going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a fun team to watch. I really do think so. And looking forward to, to breaking them down week in and week out.
1: Uh, How do you think the DTBW is enjoying Greenville, North Carolina? Pass. better record at the end of the year, Texas Tech or Ole Miss?
2: Texas Tech. I think so, Ole Miss struggled in their opener. Can't remember who they played, but definitely a cupcake. I think they won by nine. The SEC is a basketball conference now.
1: It's
0: true. I mean, I'm kind of joking, but they also – Like Obviously, there's still a football conference, but they have some really good basketball teams too.
1: Uh, We were running a lot in that exhibition game against A&M, but do we actually trust that that will be a consistent threat in the Big 12 where a physical, tough, defensive-minded league does grant resort to playing that ugly but defense-first game? Do you think no. Texas will run in the Big 12?
2: Yes, because you have the personnel to do it. If you don't run, if you don't try to play fast, this team is not going to hit its ceiling. What, what's going to make them really good and really dangerous is they have the opportunity to throw five guys out there that can all put it down on the floor and push the pace. This is going to be a team that plays fast, that's going to you know, cause stress on your defense in transition, and is going to get some really good looks on the corners just from collapsing the defense, driving the ball down the lane. But, yeah, I, I, I would be shocked if this isn't Grant McCaslin's fastest team on record as a head coach. Uh,
1: what are the chances of Possum runs onto the court this year?
0: say about the same as UCF's odds of winning the Big 12.
1: So fairly low. Uh, what does a successful season look like under McCaslin, in your opinion?
2: Dancing. Yep. Tournament bid, for sure. I think they're projected as an eighth seed right now by T-Rank. Obviously, that's going to go all over the place as the season actually gets started, but Right now, cut and dry, analytics say, or models, I guess I should say, projections, 8.6. That's, that's your projected seed.
1: We love analytics here.
2: Go for it on fourth down.
1: Uh, <laughs> will Richard Isaacs get mad at a Discord member this year? If so, which Discord member is most likely that he'll get mad at?
0: I kind of doubt it. I think he's actually really good friends with Jackson and Big Hen. So I think, I think we're on good terms with, with Mr. Isaacs there.
1: He was not happy with uh, Boone in uh, that CBS article. Was it Kyle Boone? Mm-hmm. They heard earlier the Oklahoma State guy. Freaking yeah. Kyle. Freaking Kyle's. Uh, which phase of the Gaucho verse are we currently in? I do not remember. Is this phase five still? Did we go past phase five?
0: I think Dave Campbell's was phase. It moved fast because Mainville, when he joined us last year, I think was phase two. And then phase three was taking the planes. Yeah. it's phase four, Dave Campbell's.
1: So phase five is imminent?
0: Yeah, phase five coming soon. Keep an eye out for that.
1: Uh, do we still hate the Big 12 refs? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why we wouldn't.
0: Well, could but, they not get somebody besides Doug Sermons to do that scrimmage? Like It was so
2: bad. It like, we have to do so, that so
0: bad for 20 games this year, as is. Can we not have somebody else for the game that doesn't even count?
1: Uh, do we expect coach Gass to be suited and booted or quarter zipped all year? Quarter zipped, I think so. Suits are dead.
2: I don't think I've ever seen him in a suit.
1: I think not- just
0: like at his okay. opening press conference, yeah, he wore that like red jacket. Um, but yeah, you know, he dresses like affluent suburban dad who's also into fitness he's a good dresser
1: yeah i like his long shorts (laughs) i would call him capris
0: he's got he's got like the athletic cut like the tapered like chino pants yeah they're like the right length with the tennis shoes the quarter zip like just looks like a golfer like a pro golfer would dress
1: No, no socks yeah uh, why is Baylor playing Auburn in South Dakota? I did not notice the game was in South Dakota. Is there a special thing in South Dakota today? Nobody aware? Beats me. All right, that's the mailbag. I only skipped a couple. Sorry.
0: Did you skip uh, – would you rather have your question skipped or have it mocked on the episode?
1: <laughs> no, that wasn't in the mailbag. It was in yeah. the
0: – <laughs> Start bench cut. Skipping your question, berating your question. Yeah. Or pointing out that your question was in the wrong channel.
1: I would start berating because I think it's funny to do. I think I think our Picadors can take it. Yeah. I will say this: I joked about us fighting on the last podcast, just as a joke. And I think somebody picked up on that and tweeted about it as it as a joke. And then there were people replying like, "Yeah, I know. I had to skip that part because it was it's like- yeah." they were like, "It was so tense." <laughs> it's Like I promise, we're cool. Uh,
0: no, I think that's funny because. Like, I'm, I'm all ears for constructive criticism. Like, uh, you know, we don't do this professionally. And so somebody's like, hey, you say um too much, then I can try to work on that. But some of the criticism we've got is like, yeah, all they do is argue for an hour. It's like Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharpe. And I'm like, we don't do like, yeah, okay. We disagreed on the analytics stuff and kind of like yelled at each other for two minutes. But I don't feel like we get on here and we're like, you know, doing the, you know, give me
1: Iguodala for Steph Curry and just like <laughs> arguing about stuff like that. And we're not doing weekly debates.
0: Yeah, saying,
1: you take this side; I'll take this side. Right. Yeah, like take
0: for take kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> we got the money moderator down there. Yeah, I, I think know, that we was. Argued, a- we argued a few times with money, just kind of like staring at us last. Yeah, year.
0: just like watching his parents go through an ugly divorce. He's yeah. like, "All right, yeah, I really want to move on now."
1: I feel like it's been a long time since we really fought, though.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think we. Th- that's what like when we were. Uh, Talking about analytics, I was trying to think back to the last time we had like an actual fierce disagreement on something, and I was kind of drawing the blank.
1: I remember the you wanting to join the Pac-12 really got me riled up. Yeah. Early on.
0: Yeah, when they still had USC and Oregon, I was like, we need to go with Oklahoma State and Kansas or whoever and get out west. That was before I knew like what George Klavkov was all about, and you know, we what was
1: going to and Yeah, yeah, gosh, Coming that's a good
0: segue uh, to my final thought, though, because the college football playoff rankings came out, Texas Tech uh, shockingly absent, but Arizona surging to number 21, Utah is up there, and then you've got Kansas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. So you've got five teams that will be in the Big 12 next year still in the top 25. That doesn't count TCU, the defending national runner-up, it doesn't count Cincinnati who made the playoff 2 years ago. And it certainly doesn't count 2017 national champion UCF. So I I think that's like been the big question over the last couple of years of realignment is like will you be a competitive relevant conference after Texas and OU leave? Like we don't have any teams in the top 5. But I also kind of like don't really expect to very often in the new world. Um, But, yeah, like if you have five teams in the top 25 every year, I feel like that gives your conference a good amount of legitimacy, some juice on your conference schedule if you play three or four of those teams. So that's my final thought is I think that we're hopefully in an okay spot um, going forward on the football side, which is what controls so much of this. I know we're in a good spot on the basketball side. So that's a little bit of positivity, conference rah-rah stuff to leave our listeners with, because I know they love that.
1: Big 12. Big, Big 12. 12. <laughs> oh, man. Ryan, uh, final
2: thoughts? Pop Isaacs goes for 20-plus tomorrow. Do we have a, a line out anywhere? I tweeted about it. Oh, sorry, I missed it. I believe What's it's 22-and-a-half. A... T- okay. I think uh, T rank has it at like 16 and a half for tech, which was a little surprising, but it's like 20 and a half at Kim Palm.
0: My analytics, which is just a number I made up in my head, had us at about 27. So I'll say I'll say 87 to 60 Texas Tech.
1: Love to see it. All right, that's all I got.
0: Same here. Welcome back, Ryan. Thank y'all. Glad to be back. All right. Uh, oh, join us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash $5 a month. Love y'all.